Today's scripture comes from 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verses 1 through 19. It can be found on page 351 of the Pewback Bibles. Then David said, Here shall be the house of the Lord God, and here the altar of the burnt offering for Israel. David commanded to gather together the resident aliens who were in the land of Israel, and he set stone cutters to prepare dressed stones for building the house of God. David also provided great quantities of iron for nails for the doors of the gates and for clamps, as well as bronze in quantities beyond weighing, and cedar timbers without number, for the Sidonians and the Tyrians brought great quantities of cedar to David. For David said, Solomon my son is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, of fame and glory throughout all lands. I will therefore make preparation for it. So David provided materials in great quantity before his death. Then he called for Solomon, his son, and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord, my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, you have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build the house to my name, because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies, for his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. Now, my son, the Lord be with you, so that you may succeed in building the house of the Lord your God, as he has spoken concerning you. Only may the Lord grant you discretion and understanding that when he gives you charge over Israel, you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you are careful to observe the statutes and the rules that the Lord commanded Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Fear not, do not be dismayed. With great pains I have provided for the house of the Lord, 100,000 talents of gold, a million talents of silver, and bronze and iron beyond weighing, for there is so much of it. Timber and stone, too, I have provided. To these you must add. You have an abundance of workmen, stone cutters, masons, carpenters, and all kinds of craftsmen without numbers, skilled in working gold, silver, bronze, and iron. Arise and work. The Lord be with you. David also commanded all the leaders of Israel to help Solomon, his son, saying, Is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not given you peace on every side? For he has delivered the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and his people. Now set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. Arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord God, so that the ark of the covenant for the Lord and the holy vessels of God may be brought into the house built for the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. How y'all doing today? Good? Well, hey, I just want to welcome you to King's Cross Church. If this is your first time here, my name is Howard Peñate. I am the pastoral resident here. I just want to say thank you guys for being here with us on this Sunday morning. I know it's early, but thank you guys for being here. So welcome. This is your first time. We actually just finished our sermon series last week when Pastor Trevor brought an amazing word. If you are not here to hear it, I would encourage you to hear it. A beautiful sermon on the epilogue of John's gospel. But for the next several weeks, we're actually in a kind of a break. We have these standalone sermons that we're going to do, so this week and next week, until we start our new sermon series called Exano, which means to grow. And so that's going to be an exciting time of, of learning what it means to grow and mature as a disciple of Jesus, and that's going to be in the book of Colossians, so y'all stay tuned for that. But anyhow, this sermon that I'm going to be preaching on today is something actually that's near and dear to my own heart. Orion said, hey, preach something that's near and dear to your heart and share a word. 
This sermon was shaped out of my time coming to Kansas City. As a matter of fact, right before we came to Kansas City, we were trying to discern what God's will was for our lives. And the Lord made it very clear he wanted us to leave Houston, Texas, and move up here to Kansas City, this amazing great city that we now call home. So we're thankful for the Lord for that opportunity. And so I hope this sermon blesses your heart as the Lord has worked in my heart and he has forged this text into my soul. Uh, But if you could pray with me as I pray for you, we'll get started. So Holy Father, this morning we come before you knowing that we are people in need of hearing your word. That in fact, Lord, your word tells us that we do not live off bread alone, but every word that comes out of your mouth, every word that comes from your word is living life to our souls. So Lord, would you feed us this morning your word? Would you change us this morning, Lord, according to your word? Would you cause our lives to be conformed by your word? And Holy Spirit, would you bring forth the conviction of your word to lead us so that we may turn away from what we're looking to, from ourselves, from the world, and from sinful patterns. We cannot do it alone. So Holy Spirit of God, help us. We are in desperate need of you this morning. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. So before we moved to Kansas City, we had to, we had to scout out the, the lay of the land and get an understanding of Kansas City, the demographics, the people, the church we were going to go serve at. We just didn't want to come in blindly. Actually, it took a whole entire year of planning and preparing, of seeking out counsel, wisdom, speaking to family members, to friends, to our local church that sent us out. We didn't want to make a decision just on the fly. We wanted to think through because there were a lot of different things that needed to change. A lot. But I remember coming down or coming up, I should say, to Kansas City and sitting down and having a meal at Brian Key's house. And as we're having this meal, he begins to tell us about the city. And he tells us that the city has beautiful sights to see. So we took him up on his offer. We drove around Kansas City. And I'll never forget the first time I saw the World War I monument. It was about nine o'clock at night. And as we drove up to it, all I could see are these weird faces on this like tower. And I'm like, what am I looking at? I knew where we were going, I just didn't know what to expect. And as we got closer and closer and closer and finally pulled up to the location and I saw this tower, I mean, it is breathtaking if you've never seen it at nighttime. It's an amazing sight. But what's interesting about this monument it causes you to reflect on the legacy of the people who have sacrificed their lives, who dedicated their lives for fighting a just cause, for fighting for the oppressed. Their legacies will never be forgotten. Their sacrifice, not in vain. And that monument serves as a reminder. Those soldiers, their legacy lives on. First Chronicles chapter 2 is a story of a, a soldier, a warrior king who builds a legacy. And he doesn't build it on his own name. He doesn't build it on his own kingdom. He doesn't build it with his, his, his own hands. And in fact, David makes it very clear that he is not the one to build the temple of God. Well, as we look through this text today, there are four movements I want us to look at. There are many movements in this text, and many truths can be drawn out this text, but there are four movements that I feel that are near and dear to my heart. If you're taking notes, I'll give you some. So number one, legacy building begins with the heart that desires to make God's name known. It begins with the desire to make God's name known. Number two, legacy builders build for God's glory. 
they don't build for their own selves, their own names. They build for God's glory. Legacy builders live lives that are established by the Lord. And lastly, number four, legacy builders are to arise. They are to arise and do the work that God has called them to do. And we're going to see and unpack what this means. I'm not trying to give you more things to do in life. All I want you to see is what God has called us to do as God's people. So the first movement I want to look at, actually you have to go back several chapters. So if you could turn to 1 Chronicles 17, I want you to see David's heart rooted in the promises of God. 1 Chronicles chapter 17, verse 11. And the word of the Lord reads, When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you. But I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever. And his throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. David stored this promise up in his heart that one day God would raise up an offspring. David had experienced the faithfulness of God over and over and over again in his life. Countless battles that he fought. And he saw God be faithful and deliver him from all his enemies. God was faithful to David, even when David was unfaithful. The steadfast love of God pursued David. And David set his heart on the promises of God. These words that we read in 1 Chronicles 17 the words, I will, when God speaks, conveys and delivers this. What God has spoken will come to pass. What God has spoken, it will come to pass. And everything that God has ever spoken has come to pass. And all that is left not done yet will come to pass. How do we know? Because it will come to pass. He's never not once failed. Now look at. 1 Chronicles 22 again. Turn there if you could. There's something interesting that David does as he's trying to build for God's kingdom. He sets aside strategic relationships. He is basically contracting people. He's a builder and he's setting up his contractors. Can I get an amen? All right. All right, come on, y'all track with me. I'm going to show y'all. This is a builder designing and having plans to build this structure. He will not build it, but his son will. But watch what this father does for his son. Look at verse 2. David commanded to gather the resident aliens who were in the land of Israel. And he set his stone cutters to prepare dressed stones for the building of the house of God. David also provided great quantities of irons for nails, for the doors, for the gates, for the clamps, as well as bronze in quantities beyond weighing. Now watch this. Go over to verse 15. Watch this. You have an abundance of workmen, stone cutters, masons, carpenters, and all kinds of craftsmen without numbers, skilled in working gold, silver, bronze, and iron. Arise and work. The Lord be with you. This father, this man David, set aside these contractors, these people, to help Solomon build a temple. And there's a reason why. Because Solomon was young and inexperienced. Look at verse 5. He says it right there. He's young and inexperienced. He knows that Solomon can't do it. Verse 5. 
Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, a fame and glory throughout all the lands. I will therefore make preparations for it. So David provided materials in great quantity before his death. David knew that Solomon could not do it because of his youth. As, a leg, as he was building his legacy, wanting Solomon to build off that same legacy, he was going to help Solomon do it. What's interesting about what David says, he says, I want it to be exceedingly magnificent. The amount of silver that was required to build that temple in today's cost would have been approximately $1.8 billion. Do you know, do you know the, the new airport they just built, KCI Airport, how much it cost? Anybody know? It was $1.5 billion. Just so you know, the amount of silver was $1.8 billion for this temple. The amount of gold would be $235 billion. Just think about that. The most expensive building built to date in our modern time is $15 billion. Are y'all tracking with what I'm saying? How exceedingly magnificent this temple was going to be? David wanted this place to be a place where people saw this and they were in awe. Where the fame and the glory of this temple was talked about. Where people would have been in such, like, in awe of this place, they would have talked about it to their neighbors and friends throughout all the lands and regions. Well, David sets aside these materials for his son. Knowing that his son could not accumulate all this, David has spent his life accumulating all these, all these treasures, the silver, the bronze, the gold. It would have taken decades for Solomon to build this temple had David not been able to do it. It did take 40 years, but it would have taken maybe double the time to do it. Who knows? But what we see here in verse 11 is something interesting. David uh, prays a blessing over his son. Listen to this, verse 11. Now, my son, the Lord be with you so that you may succeed in building the house of the Lord, your God. As he has spoken concerning you, only may the Lord grant you discretion and understanding that when he gives you charge over Israel, you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you are careful to observe the statutes and the rules of the Lord commanded by Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Fear not and do not be dismayed. Though Solomon was young and inexperienced, he would later be known as one of the wisest men that ever lived. He was a third king over Israel. He ruled for over 40 years, securing stability through treaties and foreign powers. He is celebrated for building the temple eventually. Solomon also wrote much of the book of Proverbs, the Song of Solomon, and the book of Ecclesiastes, and he ascribed several psalms. Family, listen to me. As we look at this text, it's clear and it's very obvious that Solomon was not capable of doing this without David's help. He couldn't build a temple on his own. He needed advisors. He needed kingly wisdom from a man who lived much longer than he did. Listen to me. We too cannot build God's temple. We cannot build our lives alone by ourselves. We need the help of the body of Christ. 
We can't, we cannot think and believe that we can live these solo Christian lives that are disconnected from community and expect for us to grow and to develop. As a matter of fact, being alone is where the enemy wants you to be so that you're away from community, you're away from growth, you're away from the advice and wisdom and counsel of people who have lived life longer than you have. See, if you ever sat down with older people who are believers in the faith, you know what you'll hear? You'll hear countless stories over and over again of how God met them in unique situations. From the loss of a child, from the the, the graduation of their oldest or youngest, and how they dealt with that emotionally. How they dealt with being a youth at the age of 24 years old, and the mistakes they made, but how God was faithful to them. How no matter how many times they failed and they faltered, God remained steadfast in his love for them. Hearing from people who have walked and live their lives pursuing Jesus. That's wisdom we should draw from. And I would say this. I would say that our generation, the time that we live in now, there's a reality where people's emotions and feelings are the actual main thing. In other words, my feelings are what matter. You can tell me whatever you want, but I'm not going to listen to you. We see in this text is Solomon listens to the wisdom of his father. He's guided by biblical truth, biblical principles, so that he could live a life that would prosper and grow. We too can draw from that today because at the end of the day, we're not building for our own names, for our own glory. We can't can't allow the culture to dictate who we are. We have to allow the word of God. And it begins with having the people of God around us. Some here are older and inexperienced. Some are younger but experienced. And some are older and experienced. The reality is no matter where you find yourself today in your stage of life, Know that your, your life is a journey, and we have to do it together as a community of believers. We cannot do it alone. It's not about this Lone Ranger Christianity. I learned that. Being in a different city, away from family and friends, when no community exists, it's easy to be alone, for no one to know your troubles, for no one to know your worries but it eats away at your soul, being alone. I'm just letting y'all know what my struggles have been moving from a city with no family and friends, how God has comforted me, reminding me that you all have been our family in Christ. And though I may not know all y'all well, I know some of y'all well, and that's good enough for our family. Next, number two, legacy builders build for God's glory. David was fulfilling his purpose and his destiny as he was building the legacy, not for his own name, but for God. He cared more for the glory and worship of God. He wanted Israel to have a central location of worship, a place that sacrifices could be offered to God. God's people had a mobile tent in which they used to meet God. David wanted more for God's people. He wanted God to fulfill the promise that one day God would give them their own land to grow, to develop. But the tent of meeting was where God met with his people. Listen to this. You can turn there if you want to. It's Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. Listen to how the Israelites experienced the very presence of God. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 
And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But the cloud was not taken up, then they would not set out to the day. Then it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, and in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. They had this mobile tent that they would pitch up. And this is where the Israelites experienced the presence of God. They saw the physical manifestation of God in the form of a cloud and fire. And David's now desire is that God would not just be a nomadic God, but in his mind, he wanted a permanent place of worship. He wanted God's name to be known. He wanted God's glory to be known. He wanted a permanent name for the house of the Lord, for the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the law. And Solomon would be the king to do that. He would be the king to build this temple. What's interesting is that Solomon's name, um, there's a wordplay on it. In the Hebrew, Jeff, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this. In the Hebrew, the, the name Solomon is Shlomo. And the word for peace is Shalom. Solomon would be the prince of peace for Israel at that time. He would bring peace like Israel never had before and has never had. For over 40 years, with no more fighting, no more wars, what that meant is men and people were not killed in senseless battles. It meant that they would not have to worry about attacks from foreign enemies. It means that they could lay their head down in peace at night. And for 40 years, Israel prospered. He was known as the prince who brought peace to Israel at that time. He was known as a wise man. Some people say the wisest man. But he was foolish. And he disobeyed God. He was a man who chased after women and foreign gods. 1 Kings 11 tells us that he basically built altars for his wives and their gods. Even though he was a wise man, he was foolish. Even though he brought peace for 40 years, upon his death, war broke out over the kingdom. Why do I say that? I believe this text is showing us something very important that, that as we read the Old Testament, we have to make the connection that when we read things like this, they're actually foreshadows of the true and truer and better either king, prophet, or priest. In this case, Jesus is the true prince of peace. See, Solomon can only broker peace by using all these strategic ways of, of marrying women and, 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 and marrying into families to secure treaties. Jesus didn't have to do that. He didn't have to broker any kind of peace. There was no negotiation. Are y'all tracking with me? Because I, I want y'all to know something today. As we read this text, I want to talk to you about the true prince of peace. The true prince of peace who the prophet Isaiah spoke of in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. He says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is, is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God everlasting father and prince of peace. 
of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Jesus is the child that was given to us. He just wasn't just a child, but he fully developed into a perfect man without sin, spotless, blameless. Let me tell you something, family. That is so crucial to our Christian faith that you know, would know that Jesus was and is a sinless man, 100% man and 100% God. He was perfect in thought, word, and deed. He never not once sinned. More importantly, Jesus is the truer and better Prince of Peace who speaks peace to you and I, not just so we can have peace with one another. Listen to me. So that we would have peace with God. Because apart from the mercy of God, if God doesn't give us his peace, we remain under the very wrath of God. See, we're saved from the wrath of God to come. And we're given peace. Peace that we don't deserve. We've been reconciled unto God by this sinless, loving Savior who laid down his life so that you and I would have peace with God. So that when we enter his presence, we know that we can come with our burdens in our hearts, our fears, our doubts, our guilt, our shame, our transgressions. And we can come to him knowing that we don't need to be ashamed knowing that, that he won't cast you out, that he won't strike you dead as you come confessing your sin. He has spoken peace to us. Forgiveness, redemption, reconciliation, restoration. We have true peace. And it's not just peace for the here and now. It's not just peace for the here and now. For the believer, we have not just this present hope, but we have an awaiting future kind of hope. That we know that one day, one day, there will, no, there will be no more wars. There will be no more death, no more decay, no more destruction. There will be no more sin. We won't have to battle. Man, I don't know about y'all, but man, I get tired of my sin. I hate my sin. I look at myself and I'm disgusted by the things that my heart desires. Am I the only one? Can I, get, can I see some hands? Anybody else feel that way? All right. So we'll make sure I'm not the only person that struggles. You're going to look at me real different here in a little bit. And the reality is, is that this is what it is. Our daily struggle of sin, it feels like we're being defeated over and over. Let me tell you a truth, family. Peace has been spoken to you and to me. And we can come confidently to God, knowing that though we struggle, though we fight, though we fail and falter, God's steadfast love remains upon us. We should repent of our sins, turn back to God, experience the peace that he gives us. David, in this text, has his heart set out to make God's name known, to bring glory to God, to build for future generations, future worshipers of God. That was the legacy he was building. Can I ask you a question? What type of legacy are you building? 
Are you, are you more concerned about your name, about your career? What are you building for? Ask yourselves that question. And I think we need to get honest with ourselves because I think we're good at lying to ourselves and believing when we look in the mirror that we're more, uh, more skinnier than we think. I'm talking about me, y'all. We can believe our own lies real easily. But what legacy are you building for? See, at the heart of humanity, we want to build a name for ourselves. Genesis 11:4 tells us of a people who are set out to build a tower, and they wanted to reach to the tops of the heavens. And they say, "Let us make a name for ourselves." Are you trying to make a name for yourself? Are you building your own kingdom? Let me keep it 100 with you guys. Let me be real with you. Let me speak a little bit about my own struggle. Growing up poor in a immigrant home, you don't have a lot. And so the idea that's placed in your mind at a young age is that if you work hard enough, then you can have whatever you want. And for years, I believed that. My identity was placed in my accomplishments of attaining financial security. I felt validated when I did well and I heard, hey, you know what, man, great job. I tried building my name for so many years as I developed my business. Though I was following Jesus, I began slowly to follow more of my career and my path. A year before we ever decided to even move to Kansas City, I felt that I was at an intersection in my life. That God was placing me on this path. Either I could keep on going the journey I was of developing my businesses or I could step aside and step back and follow a different path. It was going to cost me family, friends, relationships. But the Lord was showing me that I had made all those things my identity because I was more concerned of building a name for myself. Why do I share that? Because I want us to ask that, that question to our own hearts and our own minds. And I want us to, to examine yourself. If you're not building for God's name, then you're building your own name. And I could tell you that I've experienced freedom from that. Do I struggle with it? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, we see David concerned about building God's name, building the, for the glory of God. We too can build for God's glory. Point number three, legacy builders' lives are established by the Lord. It says right here in verse 13 that the Lord be with you. He prays this, this prayer over his son Solomon that God's word would come to pass that God would give him discretion and understanding that he would keep the law of the Lord. Solomon is reminded to obey the law of the Lord. And what's interesting is that David actually gives Solomon these words, these unique words that we only hear somewhere else in scripture. We hear other places, but the place that, that I remember it the most is in Joshua 1.9. When the Lord spoke to Joshua and told Joshua, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He was reminding Solomon that God would be with them throughout this journey to build this temple. Family, we need to be reminded today that God is with you. God is with you as you go, as you live your life, that you are to commit your plans in your life to the plans of God, 
to seek his will. Don't build your life for yourself, but seek God's will in your plans. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be dismayed. There are times in my life that I know that I'm not strong and I'm not courageous and I'm very fearful and dismayed. Anybody else? Okay. All right. We're not alone. That's our human nature. And that's our struggle. But what I want to encourage us today is to take heart in the promises of God. That though we may not see the bottom of the waters we're swimming in, our Father has us in his hands, and he will not let us drown. We may not always see what's ahead of us. We know sometimes what's behind us. What we can know is that our futures are secure with God. We know that God was with Solomon as he built the temple. Point four, legacy builders are to arise. We are to arise to the call to action as David calls the leaders to help Solomon. Look at what it says in verse 17. David also commanded all the leaders of Israel to help Solomon, his son, saying, Is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not given you peace on every side? For he has delivered the inhabitants of the land into my hand. And the land is subdued before the Lord and his people. Now set your heart and your mind to build a sanctuary of the Lord, your God. He calls them to arise. He calls them to do the work that God has placed on their hearts. In this generation we live, I think what's forgotten and what's neglected in my opinion, is the idea of discipleship. The idea of discipleship has become this idea of a formal gathering on Sundays. And what I want to suggest to you that the idea of a Sunday gathering is important, that we gather together as a church, one body, one voice, one heart, one prayer, a worship service dedicated wholly to God. Absolutely. But doesn't stop or start as we come through those doors. I want to suggest to us the New Testament model that we see is that Jesus is training his disciples on life-on-life -life ministry. Let me break it down like this. When it's 5 o'clock in the afternoon and you're having an argument with your spouse about the children, one word gets taken out of context Next thing you know, you're fighting with your spouse. Maybe it's not about kids. Maybe you're single or maybe you're a young parent. You're young and not with kids, but a fight starts nonetheless. And now you're so angry with your spouse or that person that you do not want to see them. And you refuse to listen to them. Unforgiveness, hatred, and anger stir up that you decide you want to, don't even want to be around them. Life-on-life -life discipleship looks like this. A brother or sister saying, hey, you're being real selfish right now. Your spouse loves you. They took an oath and a vow to love you no matter what. Didn't you receive mercy and grace from God? Why do you treat them without mercy and grace? Why do you make them work for mercy and grace that you did not get? That you did not deserve, but God gave it to you freely. You didn't earn that mercy and grace. Life on life discipleship looks like when someone's life is falling apart. It also looks like when someone's life is, is their celebration and great joy and God's people come around to celebrate life and your accomplishments. Where you didn't maybe have parents or friends or siblings. And now the community of God has become a family. And you're able now to celebrate life on life discipleship is where the rubber meets the road as a Christian. That's what I'm trying to say. 
I'm saying a lot, let me say it simply. Because Christianity is not this idea, higher idea of this faraway God that we take his ideas and we apply some of those things. Christianity is a lifestyle in which we believe what the word of God says and we become the very hands of Jesus, the very heart of Jesus, that the knowledge of the, of the, of the word of God that we've received, we apply it to the world around us. Discipleship is more than just meeting with people. It's living life together. It's weeping with them. It's loving them. It's restoring them when they've fallen. It's celebrating moments of joy. It's life together. I'm almost finished. There was um, there's a book um, by Tony Evans called uh, Destiny. And in this book, he has this, um, this example of watermelon seeds. Anybody here like watermelon? I love watermelon. Okay, all right. Some of y'all, okay, some of y'all don't like watermelon. That's okay. We'll work on y'all. And he has this example of watermelon seeds. And he says, there was this Christian man who had watermelon seeds. He got his seeds and he began to pray over those seeds. God, would you cause my seeds to grow into the biggest watermelons? And you know what happened? Nothing happened. Seeds were just there. So he decides then, I'm going to take these seeds to, to the church and I'm going to have people pray over it. And we're going to pray with faith that God would cause those seeds to grow. So he takes the seeds to the church. The people pray over the seeds. And you know what happens? Nothing. God has given us a faith. And we are to put it in the good soil. We are to put it in the soil. God will cause the growth. But we are to arise as God's people and take what's been given to us, the seed of the gospel, this truth of life, this truth of restoration and reconciliation, this peace that we have with God, we are to take that truth and deposit it into others, either by life-on-life -life ways of walking with broken people. I've seen, I've seen people come to faith who are unbelievers, and I just walk with them for years, a season of life. I shared this story last, last week at Bethel service. There was a young man who I kept sharing the gospel over and over again with, and he had Parkinson's. And he was real surprised that we hired him. But about a year ago, the Lord placed it heavy on my heart to call him. I called him at that exact moment when he had received news that his health was improving. Prior to that call, he was literally about to die. Orion says, I always talk about people dying in my sermons. I'm like, well, that's just the experience that God's given me. But at the end of the day, Martin tells me, when I was alone in that bedroom, on that deathbed, and they told me that my kidneys were failing and that I was about to die, I remember the words you told me, that I could call upon God at any time and that he would hear me. And I prayed to God that he would heal me and the next several hours, God began to heal me. That isn't always the case. I get that. But what I do know is that those seeds that were planted years ago, even though it looked so unfruitful, it came to pass. All I'm saying to y'all, family, is the faith that God's given you, put it in another. Share it with somebody. I've got a couple minutes left, and I'm going to finish with this. I promise, Trevor, I'll be done. There's a lot of talk about this temple being built. The importance of this temple was so that the very presence of God would be experienced. Jesus says in Matthew 12, something greater than the temple is here. 
Jesus is the very temple that I'm speaking about today. Because all that temple did was reflect and foreshadow the truer and better temple, which is Jesus. In the presence of God, the Israelites worshiped in that temple. We don't need to go to a building to experience the presence of God. He is everywhere to be worshiped. Jesus is a truer, better temple. That as we look at the scriptures, we see that he is the light of the world. He is the bread from God that sustains his people. And ultimately, he is the one that brings mercy and forgiveness of sins to God's people. There's a lot there that I want to connect. Please ask me about it at Coffee and Donuts. Time will not allow it. I'm over my time. But I love you guys. This is, this is a sermon that's been near and dear to my heart. I pray that it blesses you. Let me pray for us. Could you stand as we pray? So gracious Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are a God who is near us. You're the very God who came down from heaven and tabernacled and lived among us. That you are God, you are Emmanuel, God with us. That you came to rescue us and redeem us. Lord, thank you that you had mercy on people like us. And Lord, I pray that if people here have not known or experienced that very peace that you give, that peace that surpasses all understanding, that peace that they, have, they can have with you, I pray, oh God, that you would move in people's hearts today to desire that peace with you. Father, lead us to be men and women who are not just motivated or stirred up in faith on Sundays. Lord, I pray that you would do a supernatural work in our generation of raising up men and women who will rise to the call to go and share the hope that is within them, that the hope you've given them is imperishable, it's unshakable, and it's the living word. Empower us, Lord, to live as men and women this week who have peace with you and live with peace. Be with us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.